The reading today is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 16. And it can be found on page 1110 uh, in the church Bibles. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Julie. So um, since the beginning of September, we've been journeying through some, some key passages in Ephesians. Um, if you've still got your fingers in your Bibles, you might want to keep them there because we're going to do a bit of a, a recap on where we've been. But if we take on board the messages that we've been hearing, they're pretty life-transforming messages, or, or, or they have the capacity um, to transform our lives. Um, these are not just words. They carry an anointing. They carry um, the strength of God's Spirit to speak into our lives afresh. And so before we get into it today, I'm just going to pause and pray for us that we might receive these words as words from our Heavenly Father. Let's just pause and pray together. Loving God, you reveal yourself in so many ways, but you also reveal yourself through your word. We thank you for the revelation of your character, of your purpose for us, and of the invitation to enter into that covenantal life with you. Thank you, Lord, that your word is truth and that it carries the anointing of your spirit to speak deeply into our lives. And so as we hear these words, Lord, we pray that you would, by your Spirit, sow seeds into our hearts and minds, sow thoughts and reflections that would, that would stir up within us and take us further on our journey towards you. This we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. <coughs> so let's start in chapter 1, uh, where we discovered... 
For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's a powerful starting point to know that we, you, us, were intentionally chosen by God from the dawn of time. And from that moment of God's choosing us, he chose to see us in the best light, free from the guilt of sin, because God's purpose and God's plan for the world has always been there. It wasn't that the cross was a later addition to God's plan for the salvation of the world and for our salvation. The Father always knew that the Son was going to be sent into the world to die for the brokenness and to rise again and offer us new life. And that allows us from the start, from the dawn of time, and we live in such a time-pressured world that to think of the dawn of time might be a bit mind-blowing. From the dawn of time, God has seen us in the best light, to be holy and blameless in his sight blamelessly standing as the chosen ones before our Heavenly Father. You are chosen. (coughs) And then in chapter 2, in verse 8, we read, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. We come chosen into a relationship with God because in his grace he has reached into, uh, out to us and our hearts respond to Christ's invitation. We are chosen and brought into a relationship with God because he desires us to be in relationship with him and he did from the dawn of time. We are saved. Then in chapter 3 we read, And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And last week we discovered that we are called to be a united people standing together for the sake of the gospel chosen, saved, loved and called to unity. This is the message that we have been discovering. And this morning in Ephesians 4 that we discover that we are gifted by God to live out his purposes in the world. And before we explore this week's passage from Ephesians, we, we should just, just, just spend a moment just to internalize the words that I've put up on the screen, that we are chosen, that we are saved, that we are loved. Because once you work from that foundation in your life, life transform, the life-transforming work of the Spirit takes on a whole new meaning. When we operate not from the place of the um, cunning and deceitful schemes that seek to influence our lives, but when we operate from the base that we are chosen, saved, and loved, God can do so much more within us. (coughs) Paul tells us that that grace has been given to us, and through this grace we have been gifted in different expressions of ministry. These gifts are diverse, and three things from this morning's passage immediately are true. 
Firstly, that Jesus is the source of these gifts. They come from God and he apportions them to us. Secondly, Jesus himself is the one who calls us to use these gifts which have been given to us. And they've been, and they've been given to us for a purpose. God who wills that we, that we have an abundant life showers blessings on us, but he doesn't give us these particular gifts for self-indulgence. He gives us these gifts so that they might be used for the building up of his kingdom and the availing of his plan in this world. Thirdly, not only is the giving of these gifts an act of grace in itself, but Jesus empowers us with grace to exercise these gifts that we've been given. So he strengthens us to use that which he has given to us in grace. (coughs) These gifts were given for the task of incarnational ministry. They were given, and Paul reminds us, that Jesus who sits in heaven at God's right hand is the same Jesus who surrendered the trappings of heaven to share our humanity and knows our experiences of life because he shared our human experience. And therefore, out of his grace, he gives his body, the church, gifts to serve the world of which God is creator and Jesus walked, sharing our humanity. And so, if you're still in, if you're still in Ephesians and if you find chapter 4, in verse 11 we read, <coughs> So Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. (coughs) Jesus gives us gifts to enable us to be his body, agents of his kingdom in the world. And it would be so easy to, to hear the roles and the gifts that Paul identifies you know, apostles, a term which means, uh, which we identify with Jesus' primary disciples, his closest followers. Prophets, people carrying bold and courageous messages of God's, uh, uh, of God's speaking into situations of justice and oppression. Pastors, people who care for people and communities of people. Teachers who reveal truths and educate us um, to the scriptures and help us apply them to our lives. Do you want one of those roles? Does it sound a a wee bit overwhelming? Do you feel up to fulfilling one of those roles which Paul mentions in this week's passage? One of those gifts to be used within the church and it would be so easy for many of us to think that, that these roles are for just a few gifted people. And suddenly, the one who is gifted becomes someone who is other than me. The one who is gifted ceases to be about me because I'm the one who's not up to it. I have nothing to offer, but, but they do. And we begin to sow into our lives some destructive thoughts which Paul picks up on later in this passage. And Paul wants to challenge us this morning by saying that we only reach maturity in the church and we only reach maturity in faith and knowledge of God when we all recognize that we are gifted and we all play our part. 
We are all chosen. We are all saved. We are all loved. We are all called to unity in the body which is the church. And this morning, we are all gifted. So what holds us back? There is courage involved in stepping out and using these gifts that we have been given in living out our calling or even accepting in the first instance that we even have one. Because one of the things that is so often sown into our lives is fear. We are scared of failing because if we fail, people will question whether we should have been involved in doing whatever it was we failed at in the first place. People will question whether there wasn't someone more experienced or potentially better at doing whatever it is that we felt called to do, that we actually had the faith and the boldness to get involved with. And people begin to sow fear into our lives so that when we next approach getting involved in something, we are that much more hesitant until we arrive at the point where we actually stop volunteering and stop exercising the gifts that that deep down we might be aware that God has planted within us because we are fearful of failing and we're fearful of people's response to us and potentially their judgment when we do. And so we cease to, to, to do the things which help us aspire to that fuller expression of life in God. And fear prevents us from having the courage to accept the gifts that God has given us and invites us to use. Of all the emotions that there are, for, for me, fear is one of the most debilitating emotions that, that I've experienced in my life and, and I would imagine that, that you might have experienced in yours. Fear is debilitating and it prevents us from embracing the fullness of life which God has chosen us, saved us, loved us and gifted, gifted us to live. And, and there's, there's something that we need to draw from this. There's an inference here, which is that if fear is holding us back from realizing the life God calls us to, then fear cannot be of God. You know, God has not created things that, that, that stop us from entering into the life he calls us to live. Now, for those of you who are interested in biblical study here, um, there's, a, there's a corollary, which is that the Bible talks about a healthy fear of God, which is about holding God in awe and not about the debilitating kind of fear which we're talking about this morning. So can we all agree, just, just before I move on, that, that fear and the debilitating effects of fear is something that, that isn't of God? Fantastic. And I think this is exactly what Paul is concerned about when we arrive at verse 14 and we read, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So if the waves are associated with fear, what is maturity associated with? And I want to suggest to you that when we have the courage to step out and attempt to overcome our fear of stepping out into the gifts that God has given us, we will no longer be experiencing fear, but freedom. Paul writes to the Christians elsewhere in the New Testament, in, um, to the Christians in Galatia, in Galatians, uh, where we read these words. 
It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And I think for many, the burden that can overwhelm is fear, but the invitation is to accept and live the life of freedom which Christ won for us on the cross. You know, in, um, in the animal world, <coughs> there is um, a pecking order, <coughs> um, hence the expression, um, and life and existence and social interaction are governed by it. But what about in the church, in, in the body of Christ, the church? You see, pecking orders are all about power, and power, of course, seeks to control. But we as the church are called to serve. Yes, leadership is called for, and this is biblical, and there are those who are called to positions of leadership, but there, there are vastly more people called to positions of leadership than we identify, which is a, a really important point for us to note. There will be so many more people involved in Christian leadership within our church community um, than we particularly identify when we think of the word Christian leader. And this is just... Um, but, but in this pecking order of the animal world, power seeks to control. But in the church, we are called to serve. And one of the character traits of life in the kingdom that can stand juxtaposed to the structures in workplaces and in other structures in society is that where power and control reign, that there, there is an alternative which can be found in the life of the kingdom. Is power and control for the church? Is that, is that the model, the framework that God calls us to live out? Well, let's jump briefly to, to the Gospels, to Matthew chapter 20. In, in Matthew 20, uh, we encounter, amongst others, um, the mother of Zebedee, um, who approaches Jesus and asks that her sons may sit at the right and left-hand side of God in heaven, in glory. And Jesus challenges her on her request, but goes on to talk about the power and control model used by the rulers of the Gentiles and the high officials. And Jesus' resounding instruction to his disciples is, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Society structures, workplace structures that, that revel in power and control, can we translate them into the church? No, not so with you. Instead, Christ teaches us the way of service. And the alternative um, way of service is the picture that Paul is painting in Ephesians of how the church flourishes and grows into maturity when all its members are living out the gifts gifted to them by God. <coughs> Let's go back to the truth that I really want you to internalize this morning. God has chosen you. God has saved you. God has loved you and God has gifted you. He's done all of that out of grace 
and to empower you to use the gifts that he's given you for the building up of the church. He's placed his spirit deep within us to enable us to overcome the oppression of fear and to embrace that truth which is behind me on the screen that talks about life in the service and in relationship with God. I mentioned earlier um, this morning that our young people are at Buckton Towers. Um, and when I joined them for the morning yesterday, they were discussing courage. Um, this discussion of courage involved jelly babies, and so I stayed for a bit longer. Um, but they were, they were discovering the story of Joshua and Caleb from the Old Testament. And Joshua and Caleb were, um, were sent out to scout out the promised land. Um, and if you were with us um, earlier in the year in Lent, you'll remember that our entire series in Lent was about the journey from, of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. And we're going back into that story now, um, just briefly. But the, but the Israelites... The whole mass of Israelites, which would have numbered, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, were standing on the verge of Canaan, were standing on the verge of entering the promised land. And Moses and Aaron send, send spies, send scouts into the promised land to discover whether God's promise of a land to call their own, flowing with milk and honey, is true. And so Joshua and Caleb go forth into this land. And guess what? They discover that it is true, that, that God has been faithful, that there is this land of abundance flowing with milk and honey. Um, and they come back and they encounter Moses and Aaron. And this, um, if you want to check it out later, is around Numbers chapter 13. Um, they come back and they say to Moses and Aaron, look, here is some fruit that we've taken from our journey into the promised land. Here is, is, it was probably a bunch of grapes that they brought back to evidence the abundance of what God has provisioned um, for his people. But there were others who went with Joshua and Caleb to, to scout out the promised land. And what these other people saw was, was tall, powerful-looking people. Um, and they saw fortified cities in the promised land. And it unnerved them. And so they came back and when Joshua and Caleb were talking to Moses and Aaron and the people of Israel about an abundance of fruit and a land flowing with milk and honey and saying, yes, God has been faithful, the, these, these, other, um, these other scouts were coming back and saying, I'm not sure. These people look big and they look powerful. And doubt and fear started to enter people's mindset again. Just as they were standing on the verge of entering their inheritance, suddenly after 40 years in the wilderness, doubt and fear are sown into a body of people. To such an extent that the influence of those who were now modeling fear and doubt was that people started to say, well, should we turn back and go back to our life in Egypt, uh, under slavery to Pharaoh, because we don't want to enter a land where we're going to be victimized again. And you realize, as you read Numbers 13, the, the phrase, best the devil you know, is, is the fear that was trying to sow itself into, into this body of people. And fear grips so many. 
and became debilitating for the people of Israel just as it becomes debilitating for us. But Caleb and Joshua step out in boldness and they speak into the anxiety and fear that they encounter in the people of Israel. And if you were to turn to, to the book of Joshua, to, I think it's Joshua 1 verse 9, you'll read these words. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Have I not told you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not let fear sow itself into your lives. Do not let anxiety grip you to the point where you cannot enter that which I have provisioned for you. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And it's a message for us to stand on daily. As each day we wake up and we live for God afresh. And God provides encounters and situations and challenges us for us to be his agents and his presence within. And we only really begin to enter the fullness of that life when we internalize the truth that I've been trying to litter throughout this talk as a refrain, that you are chosen, that you are saved, that you are loved, and that you are gifted to embrace the freedom of life that is found in God, and to serve the church as it reveals these truths to all people. Don't let fear hold you back from the calling God has on your life. Don't let the people who even in the body of Israel, of God's holy people, are people set apart for his glory. Don't let people sow anxiety and discouragement into your life. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. pause to pray. Father, sometimes the messages that bombard us are overwhelming and we lose sight of the promises that you have sown into our lives. And we become quick to believe what others tell of us. And we don't pretend it's easy, Lord, to, to go on this journey to realize in these truths that we're chosen, saved, loved and gifted. But we surrender ourselves to you afresh this morning. And ask that you may use us for your purposes in this community in the places where we work, in the places where we encounter others. We ask, Lord, that you would send us your healing so that we may know freedom from fear and oppression, from the anxiety that so often grips us, that we would be set free to embrace freedom 
and grow together towards maturity in the church and fullness of knowledge in